Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the 2010 NL MVP and Cincinnati Red Star, Joey Votto. Votto hammers it, center field, Brandon Nimmo back, Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with a six-time All-Star. He was the NL MVP in 2010, current Cincinnati Red. Ladies and gentlemen, Joey Votto. Joey, thanks for coming on the program. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I've currently got your uh, reference page up right now, so I'll be able to judge you mercilessly during this podcast. (laughs) That's right. I, you were coming in when I was going out. Born in Toronto. Uh, what was Joey Votto like as a little kid? Was it always baseball? Were there other sports? I mean, listening to me right now, clearly, uh, you know, a real smart ass. Um, not smart, poor student. Um, used to trade my lunch with other people's lunches. Uh, I loved sweets. Um, I still have that habit to this day, uh, used to walk to and from school as a kid, um, by myself, took public transportation as a kid. My parents instilled independence in me pretty early. So I'm very fortunate for that. Very grateful for that. Uh, not very athletic, not very, you know, a little bit playful. Uh, didn't play much sports when I was younger, so I'd say a pretty standard issue kid uh, with below level and below average intelligence. I found it pretty interesting uh, reading up on Joey Votto that you were a big Ted Williams guy. I mean, it kind of skipped a generation. And I, I, my grandfather went, they went to the same high school at the end of my grandfather's career. uh, He finished it up in Boston and he couldn't tell me enough about Ted Williams. I could, I mean, he told me, a hundred Ted Williams stories, the greatest, the greatest, this, the greatest, that to a point where I, Gramps, I've heard that Ted Williams story like 10 times. Now, you know, fast forward a little bit, Gramps has been gone for a while. Really cool hearing those stories. The fact that a young kid growing up in, in the Toronto area is a Ted Williams fan was, was kind of fascinating to me. Obviously, you know, arguably the greatest hitter of all time that can be debated with a lot of other current players and past, but uh, what, what drew you to Ted? And I know you're real interested in, in the, uh, the science of hitting, I believe. So the two coaches that helped, helped me from uh, when I first started dedicating myself to hitting specifically, um, I had a coach in high school, his name is Bob Smythe. And then I had a coach in the minor leagues. His name is uh, Leon Roberts. And the, both of them, um, wouldn't stop talking about Ted Williams and, you know, by, by just, just contagious, you know, it was just contagious, uh, hearing them, um, speak about how great he was as a hitter and how dedicated he was as a worker and how practice was, was the key to his success. And so, um, to, to me, I, I, wanted to be Ted Williams. I wanted to, you know, 
copy his uh, his path to greatness, and he was a left-handed hitter, and he was um, this guy that was all in on 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 hitting. And so I bought his book, and I read books about him, and you know I I you know I, I admired um, who he was not only as a man, uh, the military. Um, the military experience, the multiple um, tours, uh, but also he seemed to have some balance when it came to, you know, some interest, fly fishing and obviously hitting. So to me, um, he was an intriguing person and, and I tried to copy his work ethic. I tried to copy his dedication to, um, to attention to detail and, um, this was, this was given to me from a couple coaches. So, um, I wasn't like, it wasn't the sort of thing that I found out on my own. Um, it was more, you know, it was more just, you know, usually young people are, are, are inspired by, uh, the people that the, you know, their mentors are inspired by. So, or at least in my ex- experience, excuse me, that was the case. You went to Richville Collegiate Institute uh, starting in 1997. Baseball in Canada, I know hockey's the big sport. Baseball in Canada, what is the – when did you notice uh, at what stage of, of your, you know, baseball, which you were obviously pursuing, did you start to notice people coming around to watch you? Um, almost not – here and there it was it was sprinkled here and there I, I wasn't a very good high school prospect and I uh, I so we had this system in in we had this system in Ontario which is the province I grew up in um, where you have to go to a fifth high school year and we call it OAC it's basically a college preparatory or a college prep uh, year and after my grade 12 year, what would be a senior year for an American, uh, an American student, I was nowhere near prepared enough to play either college or professional baseball. So if I was in, say, for example, Ohio here, I would have probably gone straight to a local college or to a junior college to pursue my professional baseball dream. But I had the good fortune of, of, having an additional high school year to get a little bigger, a little stronger, to continue to grow my skills. And, you know, I, I took advantage of that and almost all the way up until my, the, the June draft, I was probably a double digit draft pick kind of guy, you know, 10 to 30, you know, and, and, and sign for a few thousand dollars and, and give it a go or go to college. I'm pretty confident that I would have tanked had I gone to college. I think it would have been a really difficult experience for me. And so, um, you know, having that additional year um, and that extra time from, you know, from it's almost like from from April to June, I went from being a non-draft pick to I ended up being a second round pick. And, and you know, I was I was as late a bloomer as I think a high school player can be. Your second round pick of the Reds in in O two, uh, and you sign, and um, going from you said you had an extra year of of maturity uh, of schooling when you went off to your minor league. I went to college. I went to college for three years. When I was eighteen years old, I thought I was you know. 
the greatest and I was ready and I was, I got drafted real low 29th round. So it really wasn't an option for me. I ended up going to school for me personally. It ended up being kind of what I needed. I needed to grow up. I needed to get away from mommy and daddy and kind of be a big boy. And and I think maturation wise, it, it helped me to go to college for three years. Some guys sign when they're 18 and they're great. And, they, and especially nowadays, you know, this new crop, it seems like uh, you're, a lot of really talented kids get into the big leagues at a young age. Uh, I don't think I was ready for it, but going in from, uh, you know, from, I believe 19 years old, is that fair to say when you signed? Was that a big was that a big adjustment period for you? Um, for sure that I didn't know you went to USC. That must have been fun. I went to SC. It was fun, but you know I was ready to go. I I just went there to play baseball. And when that junior year came around, I had a lot of fun. I didn't miss it. I just I, my hair was on fire, and I just wanted to go. That was um, that's close to the Rose Bowl Stadium, no? Rose Bowl. Yeah. Rose Bowl's in Pasadena. That's UCLA. And that's kind of in the Valley. SC's probably SC's the, the uh, Coliseum, which is right next to the campus. Then the Rose Rose Bowl is where UCLA plays their home games. And that's probably a 45 minute drive. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I uh, was drafted as an 18 year old and, you know, I faced a couple 85 mile an hour pitchers, as a high schooler, but it was like a one game or a two at bat sort of experience. Almost everybody I faced was anywhere from like 65 to 75, maybe, maybe touching 80. That was pretty hard. Um, and so the, the transition from high school baseball in, in, in my area, which was a little short on talent and I didn't play, I played only one season with one of those traveling teams. Almost all of my games were played with the, like a local rep, you know, local, you know, adult league sort of thing or high school. And um, the shock to my system when I joined professional baseball was real. I mean, I couldn't believe how hard everyone's throwing and how (sighs) the adjustment for me took a good bit of time. And I had my doubts. I think I may have been one for my first 30 and it was like one of those like check swing infield single things. And they transitioned me from catcher to third base to, you know, DH Um, pretty quickly. Defensively, I was really behind also. And the first bit of professional baseball for me was very humbling, shock to my system. But going back to Leon Roberts, the coach that, took hold of me as an 18 year old, I worked, I worked like a maniac and I loved it. And it's funny as I feel identically now as a 39 year old, I feel no different. Like I I can't wait to work. I can't wait to compete next year. But uh, that feeling when I first started joining professional baseball was if this feels right, I got to figure out how to solve this. And I ended up finishing off really, really well. I think I led the league in extra base hits. I, I showed up, I think, a couple weeks, maybe more late. So I, I had less at bats by a lot and I performed well by the very end of the year. I didn't have a position, but I was really sad, satisfied with how I played offensively. So you get to, uh, and, and you move through 2006, you're the Southern league MVP. I remember I played in the Southern league. Uh, I don't even know if Jacksonville's still in the league. That's where, that's where my double a affiliate was. Uh, you go to the Futures game, 
and, and you're getting close to to uh, getting to be a big leaguer, kind of rec- recognizing your dream finally. You get called up in 07 on the 23rd of September. I think Dusty's your skipper at the time. Uh, we all have that call-up story. We all have that day, you know, where you get that call. And you kind of, is this for real or not? Your first day getting called to the big leagues, do you have a vivid memory of that? I remember where I was. <laughs> so my manager at the time was Pete, Pete McKinnon. Pete, mm-hmm. McKinnon, Pete McKinnon. I think I'm saying his name correctly. Um, and I get called up. And, and if I'm honest with you, I was pretty pissed um, that it took so long to get me there. You know, I thought that I'd... So we had this system in the minor leagues. If you were below double A... You're obligated, excuse me, you're obligated to take a strike. And every single bat all year long, you had to take a strike. Now, they made some stipulations where if there was a runner on second base with zero outs, you're allowed to swing. Or um, if they gave you the green light for the day that you would be allowed to swing. And from low A level, my rookie experience, and then high A, we were ob- uh, uh, um, obligated to take a strike. And I got to double A the year after when I was 22, and I dominated. Like, I, it was such an excellent year. I think I set the doubles record, and I, I led the league in nearly every category, including stolen bases. And I thought, all right, I should be getting called up soon because all the great players that I admired – the Ted Williams, uh, you know, all the, you know, all the great players that I wanted to be like got up to the league when they were 20, 21, 19 and late was 22. So I was like, all right, I better hurry the heck up and get up here because this is where I belong. And they left, they left me in double A and I was sour. I was this, I don't know if I've ever been that sour since. And the next year they started me in triple A and I had a poor start. I, I ended up needing something. I ended up needing to get contacts or something like that. And I finished off fine. And they had me play the whole season out. And I couldn't have been more sour. I was, you know, frustrated with with them having me play the outfield. And I was playing well. And I continued to make improvements to the walk strikeout thing. And I was hitting for power. And my defense was getting better. And they just kept making excuses to keep me from getting to the major leagues. And they'll tell you that I wasn't ready defensively. But if you look at my you know, first two years, I think I may have been the best defensive player at the, at my, at the first base position based on the advanced numbers. So um, to say I was frustrated was uh, an understatement. And when I got to the league, I didn't get to enjoy it because I was in such a sour place. I just, I knew I was going to succeed. There was zero doubt that I belonged. I thought I was going to play well right from the get-go, and I did. I've, I, I've, I don't think I've had a bad stretch of, of hitting or, or playing since, you know, since until like 2019 or something like that as a 36-year-old or 37-year-old. So, yeah, I wish I, was, I wish I could tell you something a little bit better about my experience, but I have to be honest, and I, I was, it was sour. It was very sour for me. It's interesting to me you talk about, the, the the rules that were put in place for the lower levels in the minor leagues, you know, as a, as a player that came into the league, uh, when I get called up 1992, you know, I played in a little bit of a different generation. I look at the current generation. I still love baseball to the core. It's always been my passion. It's always been in my life. Uh, I watch it today's game and a lot of things I don't like, I don't like change. 
uh, a lot of things I embrace and go, wow, I'm a little envious of you guys at having uh, so much data at your fingertips. I I wish I played in a generation where I had that because I was one of those guys. I was a film and and any way I could find a a chink in my opponent's armor, I was always looking for that. So I envy you guys in a lot of ways. I think it's cool having the the tools available that you do. Uh, Some of the things I love about the game now, some of the things, oh, I like kind of how it used to be played. But you brought up a point. That lower level of the minor leagues, when they said take a strike, think that's a positive thing for a young player to teach them, or do you think it, it can be a detriment? I think it's good to use, you know, I think the problem we ran into as a team, because this was, you know, I, I was with the, the same roster of guys for almost every level. They're still friends to the, this day. I mean, um, if I cross paths with anybody I've played with, we have, we worked together for five and a half years plus, and these are people I really care deeply about. But, um, I watch guys careers tank, um, that may have been able, part of this game is fooling people for a bit. And if you get crushed at a low level, teams don't understand the context that, you know, player X from the Reds. Um, had to take a strike for the full year, you know, um, we'll factor that into his statistics. They just don't give you a chance. And so at that lower level where, you know, these players, and they'll argue, I would imagine the, the former front office, the people that ran that program will argue, well, we just stuck, stuck with those players and, you know, we, we, we kept giving them chances. Okay, that's fine. I respect that. Um, but um, it's a window of time in a player's career where they get to learn. Um, they get to learn skills that that um, they get to learn skills that they can use in the future to help them maximize their their potential. And if you're ha- if you're you know tying an arm around their back. Um, Guys don't get to learn how to, you know, guess pitches and ambush and and become better fastball hitters and, you know, take more chance. And so it limits their I feel like it limits their ceiling. And I, I, I can tell you we all hated it and it may have made players better in the long run in some ways, but that doesn't mean it served players in terms of their career. So without complaining too much about the experience, I know that a lot of guys couldn't stand it. And um, yeah, that was, that's, it's really hard when, when a pitcher, every pitcher in the league knows they can fire strike one down the middle and then the at bat starts for every hitter in our lineup. So. No, that's a, that's a great point because it gets around like, Hey, these guys got to take, you know, an A ball with the reds. They have to take first pitch and put you behind the eight ball. You know, there are some, uh, the only positive I can think, well, it teaches you to go deeper in counts. It teaches you to be a, maybe a better two strike hitter. I remember I worked for the A's for a couple of years in the minor leagues back in 14 and 15. And I remember one day, one of the, I was kind of a Rover and, you know, assistant. So I'd kind of go to all the different levels. And I remember one of the coaches at one of the levels said, today, we're not going to swing at any breaking balls. And if you do, it's five bucks, whatever. Well, the first thing I do is laugh and and I look at him like, you ever, you ever gotten that box before? 
Do you think that I swing at a breaking ball two feet off the plate because I thought it was a breaking ball two feet off the plate? You're you're acting like these guys know that they're swinging at a breaking ball. If you tell me you're going to take money out of my paycheck for swinging at a breaking ball, I'm going to do everything I can not to swing at one. Doesn't mean I won't chase. That's why it's a breaking ball. But but it seems some of these rules that are put in are it's almost like they're put in by somebody that's never played the game. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know what kind of rules teams are implementing now. I can just say that that it was difficult. I understood what they were trying to do. So I don't know. I I mean, may, maybe um, they helped us. Maybe it helped me. I'm not really sure. I have a pretty strong two two. I have had stretches of really good, like a really good two strike approach. So. But I was going to work on that regardless. I mean, that, that's where the relationship between me and the hitting, hitting instructor uh, came in. And uh, that's why I praise Leon so consistently because he's, he was there for every part of the, the, the professional at bat. He had an answer for everything and something I could work on. And I don't think I need to. Yeah, yeah. Enough about the complaining. I don't really. Like <laughs> Very cool. You put your first skippers, Dusty Baker, never got to play uh, for him, played against him quite a bit. Uh, seems like one of those guys uh, to this day. I really haven't heard a bad word about him. by Anybody that's played with him or or against him. That's your first skipper in the big leagues. Oh, eight. Uh, your first full season. You have a great year. 297, 24, 84. Next year, 2009, you finish it up 322. Uh, you played w, WBC, I believe, for Canada in 2009. Was that was that something special? Uh, was that a big deal for you, playing for your country? It was because we were playing in Toronto and because um, I wanted to take a step forward that year in terms of uh, my performance. During the regular season, I felt like a, a tournament in spring training against good competition was an opportunity for me to work on the parts of the game that I want to get better at. And I played well during it, and it upped my confidence at a you know at a time really really early in spring when you know there's a lot of uncertainty, especially as a young young player or a young early in their career player. Um, but I had a great time playing in front of family in what was basically free baseball. You know, um, you know, I, you, you've played during the regular season, and you know that like every single game counts. It all goes on the back of your card. It all is connected to your, you know, uh, reputation as a player. Of course, it's connected to your salary and accolades, et cetera, et cetera. But when you get those opportunities where everyone's competing at a high level, whether it's an All Star game or or um, you know playoffs or tournaments like the WBC, you know you get to just completely play for uh, the team, and you get to take some smaller some some chances you never would have taken before, and you get to you know see whether or not things you worked on, for example, in the off season, you can apply now. So I was really appreciative that it happened. Um, that it happened uh, the way it did. I'm glad that I got to play in that tournament in front of a packed Sky Dome. You know, it's the Rogers Center now, but I, you know, it was the Sky Dome to me. So, yeah, no, it was a it was a great experience. I mean, I think there's a WBC again this year. I don't know if I'll be healthy in time to join the Canadian team, but we'll see. 
2010, uh, you're an all-star for the first time, and you, and you win the uh, MVP in the National League. Pretty special. You go to postseason for your first time, hit 37 homers, 324. Uh, at this time, I mean, you're kind of – everybody's starting to know who Joey Votto is, and, and uh, kind of you're the man in Cincinnati. Um, you go on to be an all-star the next three years following that – Kind of getting. Have you enjoyed the Cincinnati experience? I, I was lucky enough to. I remember I came up with the Seattle Mariners. I went to the Cincinnati Reds in a in a trade, and and I was a young player. And I thought, man, I was just kind of starting to prove myself in Seattle. Now I got to redo it. Ended up going to Cincinnati. Uh, had a couple tough years in Cincinnati, but but three or four of them uh, were really fun. I I got to meet some. You know, you mentioned teammates, uh, lifelong friends. I had a really good experience in, in Cincinnati baseball city. It's changed quite a bit. I was back there a few years ago and it's, it's different than when I was there at the, at the old riverfront stadium. But, uh, at this, at this point, 2010, you're on top of the world. You're the MVP starting to all sink in that all this work you've put in your whole life's paying off. Um, yeah, yeah, it goes, it goes by pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's like, I liken it to, uh, when you're in a pool, like, and, or excuse me, in the ocean and you're treading water and you're just trying, you know, you've got no life jacket and and you're confident you're going to keep your head above water, but you got to work really hard and you got to focus exclusively on, you know, uh, you know, staying above water with your, you know, you turn, your legs are turning, your arms are churning and, and then a wave hits you. And it, to me, um, it, it, it kind of fell in line with my career goals, but, um, it was still a new experience for me. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great time. Um, at the time it was really stressful, but it, looking back, it was like, I'm pretty proud of 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 achieving the achievements during that stretch for sure. And great years in eleven, you win a gold glove, twelve and thirteen, uh, all star again. You go to another postseason, uh, play the Pirates, you lose to the Pirates. And at this stage of of your career, and you're known for it now, and and reading up on you, uh, I knew you were a, you were one of those hundred walk. I didn't know how efficient you were uh, with on-base percentage. I mean, you've led the league, I think, six or seven years, led the league in walks quite a few years. Um, How much is that a conscious effort? You know, I I, I take a guy like a Vladimir Guerrero, not junior, senior, uh, and I played against him. It was one of the most, playing against him in the same division for three or four years, one of the most amazing hitters I've ever seen. I mean, just unbelievable, but you couldn't walk him. And that was one way. And then there's the other way. And, and you're kind of the epitome of the other side. You know, I played with a Johnny Olroot. I, I looked at Johnny Olroot and I said, Johnny, how do you have that good of an eye that you could lay off that 3-1 pitch with runners out there? And I said, I wish I could take my aggressiveness and, and your patience and kind of combine into one. I used to say that all the time. I think some people just have that innate ability to really walk a lot. And some, you can always improve on anything, I think. But how much was that a conscious decision on your part to, to get on base, not only be a great hitter, but to, to, to really add that walk to your, to, your, you know, to your set of tools, I guess? It started early. I think I had like a – I got sent down to rookie ball, a high rookie 
um, in my second full season, in my first full season as a professional. And I was like, who do I want to be? What do I want to be? And I, um, I just, I wanted to be Bonds. I wanted to be Ted Williams. I wanted to be like the guy that got on base a ton. And I think I had like a 450 or 460 on base percentage in that league for the half year. And I was like, okay, like I hit three something, got on base a bunch. I was like, all right, this is a repeatable skill for me. Like I can do this. This is not hard for me. And, you know, I've, I've tried to carry that. I've been able to carry that throughout my entire career. It's just not that I don't know what it is. I just don't know why I can do it or why I could do it for so much of my major league career. But I do think it's a byproduct of, you know, shaping that skill and, and chasing that in the minor leagues. So. Yeah, and I think to a certain point, um, I think it, it it's something you're kind of born with. Some people are born with, hey, they just they just do it. You can always add to what you're given. You know, we all have a unique skill set, and we can always get make our skill set as good as it can be. But I, I don't think so. You know, I I talked to some hitters um, in the minor leagues. And I remember there was a lot of emphasis. Hey, you got to walk more. You got to walk more. You got to walk more. Well, there were a couple of hitters that that wasn't their forte. And, and I didn't see them being really successful. I said, anybody that I've ever seen that goes up there looking for ball one, it's 0-1 right away. Now, we can we can develop and practice and work on our, our managing that strike zone. But if you're a 60 walk guy to all of a sudden think one day you're going to be 150, I don't know if that's really attainable. So let's not work on that. Let's work on being an 80 walk guy instead of a 60. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me on that, but just the players I've seen over the years, it's a, it's tough to turn somebody like that into a Joey Votto where you could probably never go through a year. And if you walk 50 times, it'd be like, well, you'd have to try uh, to swing at more pitch. Like I'm three, one, I can't walk again. I'm only supposed to walk 50 times. Whereas somebody else, it might be the reverse. Yeah. I don't know the ingredients. I do think, I don't know. I, I, I people asked me earlier on why do you walk so much, and I said, "Well, it's because I keep missing pitches to hit. <laughs> I keep missing the ones that I want to hit. You know, I foul them off or I swing through them, and then the yeah, bat gets deep." But I watch, you know, Juan Soto hit, and he and I are actually very, very similar. I mean, he reminds me. Uh, he's obviously the younger version and about to be a higher earning version of 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 what I was, but. It, you know, um, the pitches have to be in the zone. There's no question about it. Lots of really aggressive swings that involve swings and mi- swing and misses and foul foul balls. Um, but if it's anywhere outside of the zone, there's usually no swing. Very rarely does he get fooled. And I can relate. I could relate to that. It's not that hard in in from our perspective because all we're really doing is swinging at comfortable pitches. And for a guy like Vladdy Sr., almost all conf- pitcher, pitches must have felt comfortable to him. And those pitch- pitches that feel comfortable to him feel really strange to, to us. And so it just it's more just like instincts. And then in those two-strike you know, two uh, moments – the full count moments, that's when we we recognize how close we are to the finish line for better or for worse. 
and you know you you bear down and you recognize the potential strikeout threats and you're aware of the umpire's tendencies and you're aware of how you're feeling that day and how your swing's feeling and um, there's foul balls and there's jam jobs and there's close takes and next thing you know you've got to walk and um, you just do that every day for six months and you end up having 20 or 50 or 70 more than the next person. And I don't know what to say other than I don't really do that anymore. Even though I still walk quite a bit, I'm trying to just smash and have fun at the plate. But when I was in my prime, my perspective was like, I know what's going to be a strike. Like I know when it's as it's coming in, whether or not it's ball or strike, I'm aware of the umpire's tendencies I'm aware of where the pitcher's trying to fool me. I'm aware of, you know, the, 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 the two pitches or three pitches that may pair up with one another to appear, uh, to appear the same, but to get the swing and miss. And I, I set targets to hedge against it. So I had all these plans when I was more two strike, you know, you know, on base guy, whereas now I'm, I'm less that I have some natural, take instincts, but generally speaking, I'm just on the attack because I want to have fun. You know, I, I love hitting the ball hard. It's addictive other than, you know, I don't know. I, I've, in, I've enjoyed it. I expect to do that next year. I think I'm going to have a great year next year. So uh, today's game and there's, you know, there, and I'm not saying, you know, it, the only people that truly know what's going on, I found in, in my travels is those 26 guys used to be 25 guys, 26 guys in that clubhouse. They really know what's that. Those players are the one you, you got a question. They know what's going on, but it seems like in today's game, you know, when you hear a bunch of the older players, I don't like to, the older players that commit, oh, this game today, it's this and that. My, I like a smarter answer to that. Well, well tell me what they could do better. Uh, it seems like the older players feel like average isn't a really uh, coveted thing anymore in the game. It's OPS. I understand we're moving on. How much have you been throughout your career? How important it, you've done it nine times. How important is it for you at the end of the year to see a three in front of that average? Mm. getting lots of hits is good it's a fun feeling you know you get a a ground ball or a broken bat flare and you got a hit or two and then you hit a ball hard in the gap and you hit a double or home run and all of a sudden you have three hits and you feel like you did your job well um and you're like all right this this i can sleep well tonight and i did a good job and you know, everybody is happy. No one's on my, on my behind. Um, but you can very easily, uh, hit a ground ball, hit a jam job, hit a liner in the gap and be over three. And that's what I feel like is, is a difference in today's game. The defense is just sharper, less, there's much more scouting. The shift is a factor. Pitching styles match with the shift a little more. Um, and usually the vulnerability is, is, is hitting the ball hard over the fence. Uh, it's changing a little bit, but when I first came up, the ball had, a, I felt like it like was slower, no question about it, but there was like, there was movement and command. Uh, the front hit fastball was more of a, a variable, much more like backdoor slider attempts, very few high fastballs 
occasional down in slider attempts for a left-hander or right-hander against a left-hander um, for the strikeout. Lots more strikeout greed from the pitchers because I think the pitchers are being supported and paid this way. And whereas when I first came up, soft contact, working not quickly, but just like working in a way that kept the defense ready um, and engaged, I think was more supported. You know, let's end the bat early. Let's 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 draw contact. Whereas now contact is 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 not um, what people want. Players don't get paid for contact as much as they do, you know strikeouts, avoiding walks and managing home runs. So it just feels like, um, and I'm not sure how front office feel about it now. They may be shifting their perspective. Pitchers may be shifting their perspective, but the at-bat now feels dumber and it feels maybe dumb. Dumber is not the right word. It it feels um, less complicated. It feels easier, but it also feels significantly younger and more athletic. And if you don't have the ability to replicate like good health every day and feeling strong and feeling athletic, you're going to get absolutely bodied by this league. I mean, it's just, it, you better be sharp on a daily basis and you better be able to time a fastball and be able to take a breaking ball and be able to hit a breaking ball and be able to smash the ball through an infield. That's seven deep on the right side. It feels like, um, and, uh, you know, catchers are stealing more strikes now and the strike zones, what feels like bigger at times and it's taller strike zones. So it's just a completely different game than when I first came up and I'm fine. With, I actually really like today's game just because it's, it allows me to just do less thinking. You know, I just could just to be concentrate on athleticism and make sure I'm timing these fastballs because the fat timed fastball goes a long way. It comes off the bat hard. So. Yeah, it's interesting when when I watch a game today, and it seems like it was just yesterday I was playing. It's been 15 years now, and and you're right. The game has changed quite a bit just in the 15 years I've been out. The athleticism, I definitely definitely see a tick up there, all over the field. Um, you looking forward to next year when when they're going to have to? Not that they still can't shift, but but with the rules they have in place, are you looking forward to it going back to kind of the old way? Um, you know, I played well offensively last year and I was really happy with that. Um, I thought, you know, I was, I thought, I thought I was going to play that way or better this year. Usually I'm right when I guess things before the season, when I predict things for myself. So this year was a bit confusing. Um, and, but it was, it, it countered it, it, it was it, my style handled the shift. I just hit the ball harder and I hit the ball over the fence more. Um, as far as am I excited about the changes? I, I don't know. I don't think I, I, I may feel differently. You know, I, I've over the last few years, I went from hitting, I think my career average is like 310 and now it's down below 300 and, I doubt I ended up I end up finishing over 300. I'd be surprised if I did. I'd have to hit like 330 the rest of the way, you know, for a few for a couple of years to get over 300. So I'm not so concerned about that. It's I just want to have a good time out there, and health is a big part of that. So to answer your question, I'm worried less about the shift or the or the game changes, and I'm just focused on 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 feeling well. You know, I. I, I 
I'm, I'm, I'm here for whatever, you know, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what rules they set, I'm down for whatever. I don't, I don't care. I make the sh- make a shift, keep the shift, ban the shift. Uh, it don't matter to me. I'm down for whatever version of the game. It's all about competition within the rules. So that's where my head's at. 15, 16, and 17, uh, hit 326. I mean, just great years. You're an all-star in 17 and 18. I was reading something about Golf Instructor 2019, how it how you took that and paralleled it to your baseball swing. I wasn't hitting the ball very hard. in in So in 17, I had my perfect year. You know, I, I for me, I hit for high average. I got on base. I struck out lower than I'd ever, I think at a rate lower than almost any time in my career, but I also had the highest walk percentage, or at least in the conversation for highest walk percentage, played good defense. I played every single day. You know, uh, I finished, I think, second in most valuable player voting. Like, I was really happy with that year, not because of the finish or because of, I was just proud that I played every day. My goals were, I want to play every day. I, w- I want to play great defense. I want to play great defense and I want to play every day. And, and then I also told myself, you're going to, you're not going to strike out at all this year. Those were my three goals and I achieved all those. So I was really proud of myself for, for ticking all those boxes. Um, and the following year, all of a sudden my power fell off, um, less doubles, less home runs. And I was like, you know, I led the league in on base percentage and I got, a, I was an all-star, but I was confused why I p- performed so poorly. And then the following year was the worst year of my career. I was healthy and I just played terribly. And so after that year, I, I just decided, okay, like I, I need to have fun. And uh, excuse me, I, after, after that year, I wanted to, run it back again with the old style, but halfway through 2020, I realized I'm not going to be able to do this. And I decided I wanted to start having fun. And so fun for me was hitting the ball hard. And it pretty much fell in line with the way the sport was going. And the following year, I played really well. You know, I played well in 21. I was 37 years old and was really proud of it. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, this year is just, it's confusing to me. Confusing year, but I was hurt. COVID was a pain in the a pain in the behind this year for me, and no excuses. I just started poorly, and I finished poorly. So we'll see how I play next year. I'm I'm confident, but uh, you have to do it. You know, you have to go out and do it. Thing I see a little different uh, between the generations is is now a guy like Aaron Judge got sixty homers. He's hitting leadoff. That's kind of been the the new formula where in in my day and the in the generations before it was always your three four or five guys were your main guys your run producers now that's necessarily not you know some managers keep it kind of old school uh but most of the the managers of today they're putting their their players in that one that two hole Uh, any any difference that do you think it matters or, or do you think that's something that that data and and the analysis has has benefited. It's a smart way to go about it. I, I'm not really, I'm not really convinced either way. Oh, I, I don't, I, I have no idea. I mean, I do think part of it is, is I do think you want your players, especially everyday players comfortable and enjoying where they work. But I also think the players need to adapt. Uh, 
So I, I don't have an answer for you on that one. Smarter people, I, you know, I said at the beginning, I, you asked me about me as a child, uh, below average intelligent. I, I mean, that hasn't changed. So I, I can't really answer this, this question. Um, but I would say, I would say for me, if Aaron's comfortable hitting lead off and the Yankees say that that's the right route to go, then that pretty much speaks for itself. And I think, I mean, that's a good point too. You know, I remember when I played, it, it was important to me, you know, especially throughout the course of a season. If I was hitting third, if I was hitting fifth, I knew I came to the ballpark and I was hitting there. All of a sudden I was out of order somewhere and it almost like, what did I do wrong or, or why are you changing it? Uh, and maybe all the time it didn't have anything to do with me. It was something team-wise where we just want to get guys going. But I can definitely remember as a player, it was like you come to work every day and it's like you're a creature of habit. And you know that I usually play second base and I hit, whatever on a particular team, particular season that would throw me off though. The seasons where if I moved around a little bit and it, maybe it was more of whining and being a young, you know, being a little bit immature, like, Oh, how dare you put me in the hole that I'm not particularly comfortable in. But as a player and as you move on through this game, it is, it is about comfort. It is about having guys where they're comfortable in the lineup. So no, I, I understand what you're saying on uh, when it comes to that. Not not very many people have done it, uh, especially in the modern era, but you have. You've been able to – you spent your entire career, uh, one city, one organization. Uh, I think the days of that happening are, are kind of getting farther and farther away. I don't know how many people going forward, especially with the economic culture in our game, is going to – you're going to see many more. Is that important to you? St- started with Cincinnati. You've played so many years with them, so many great years uh, to finish with them. Is that, is that something uh, that's important to you? Yeah, I think so. We'll, you know, I, after next year, I have an option and I'm not sure how that's going to work. I mean, it's my response. First and foremost, I have to play well. And, um, you know, I've been in the same uniform my whole career, been enjoying myself, same locker for most of my career, same route to work, same house, same. Same, lots of things, same, you know, people in the community I get to know and same, you know, same clubhouse experience. So, you know, I, I, um, I'm used to it. A change would be, um, odd for me, but something I can definitely handle, but I don't want to handle a change. I'd rather just, you know, I'd rather just, um, play well and, uh, finish my career in a Reds uniform. So. We'll see how that goes. I uh, caught you the other day. I was watching a watching a game. I saw you in the booth. Uh, you're with my old double play partner, Larkin, and I go, look at Joey up in the booth. How are you enjoying that? I mean, just kind of the other side of it. Like, I don't know why you're doing You're just probably thinking, hey, it's something new. I could get up there. I saw you walking around, sitting with the fans, interacting with them. I know you're a big favorite there. Uh, as much as you probably are not enjoying being hurt right now, and this season hasn't worked out for you uh, the way you'd planned, are you getting some – Some uh, is it fun for you going to the booth and, and hanging out like I saw you the other night on TV? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really miss playing. I miss playing, being healthy and competing and being – I miss – I do miss the grind. Um. You know, I, I can't just sit around all day. You know, rehab takes about an hour each day, and it's only so much you can, so much you can, you can, you know, only so many silly things you can do. So I figured I would, I would 
dabble in the broadcasting and try the radio and um and then you know the fans we're not it's not very busy right now at the stadium so most of the fans are diehards um that are coming to the stadium pretty consistently so i thought i would head out and say hello to some people tons of familiar faces and yeah i i um I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I took that in. That was a fun experience. And before I let you out of here, there were a few guys uh, during my career that I would, I'd like to come out early and watch the opposing team hit, or some were even on, on current teams of mine uh, or teams that I played on teammates. Is there anybody you'd come out early to watch the other team hit batting practice, just watch them hit that you really appreciate? Um, good question. I watched Judge hit New York. I watched Matt Carpenter when he was going good in New York. I was trying to glean some things off of them, which I did. Um, you know, the guys that so batting practice only tells me so much. I love watching guys in the game. You know, Trout's the best player in the game. Watching him compete in real time is amazing. Like. You know, the people in Anaheim are very lucky that they have one of the best players of all time, you know, right in their backyard. Um, and so for me, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really, I'm not really into the practice thing. I like watching guys playing the game. So that's, that's, that's where my head's at. All right. Joey Votto, I appreciate you taking the time, man, coming on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, awesome career, and and hopefully you go out and, and you play as, a couple more as long as you want to play, and I, I'd love to see you finish whenever that whenever that time is. I'd love to, to see you finish in a Cincinnati Reds uniform. Appreciate you coming on. Best of luck. Best of luck this offseason. Get ready for next year. And as we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast – we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy. Dan? That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. Never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Moon Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone29. I'm Dan Levy, BASS on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.